Welcome to Season 2, Episode 4 of Beyond the Zero. I'm your host Ben. Joining me today is Wendy Erskine. Wendy is a writer and teacher. Her new short story collection is Dance Move and it's out in February. Welcome to the show, Wendy. Thank you very much, Ben. Lovely to be here. Thanks for inviting me. Can we start with Northern Ireland? You grew up in Belfast during the Troubles. You must have seen a huge amount of change over the last 20 to 30 years. How have you seen that change? Well, yeah, I so I, I grew up in Belfast, so I was born in 1968 and I lived in Northern Ireland just outside Belfast, a sort of quite nice university suburb outside Belfast. I lived there until 1986 and then I moved to, to Scotland, actually. I moved to, to Glasgow for, for a number of years. Um, so I suppose one of the things I'd want to say initially is that there's, there's no one distinct Belfast experience. Um, my experience of Belfast living in the very particular place that I did is going to be light years you know, away from even the experience of somebody who lived four or five miles away. So just very, very specific experiences um, for very specific um, places from people from very specific backgrounds. Um, So I suppose what I'm saying is that, say, for example, um, you know, a middle class person living in, you know, South Belfast probably had an intensely different experience um, from, you know, a working class person living in in North Belfast. Um, But yeah, I moved back again to Belfast in 1997. And the place was I suppose even when I moved back, there were things that I I found really, um, really striking and not a very good way. So say, for example, murals on on walls. Um, I remember just finding that really kind of jarring and slightly frightening and all the rest of it. But it was funny, within about a couple of weeks, completely acclimatised to it. I didn't didn't even notice it whatsoever. So I suppose this is still a very surreal place and I would not want to give the impression that now this is this is entirely different and that everything has moved on um, you know entirely because it hasn't there's still sort of you could argue there's segregated housing and um, you know you could you could say as well that um, there's still not integrated schooling and that kind of thing but um, there's lots of things that people just don't notice because it's just part and parcel of, of living here. But I suppose that's true of any place whatsoever. Lots of places have their oddities and their quirks and their, um, their, their strangeness. And the people living there no longer notice it because it's become so much just a, a part of the fabric of, of life, really. Hmm. It's really interesting because I guess from an outsider's perspective, watching the change, and my mum you know, grew up in Ireland and moved out here mm-hmm. as a nun, um, the change, especially in religious belief, I think in Ireland, uh, if even if you look at things like abortion laws and stuff like that, has just been huge because I don't think that would have uh, ever been the case, you know, looking back at the you know more recent history. Oh yeah, I mean, if you if you look at that, basically a switch from a theocracy to uh, and you know not a theocracy, that has been absolutely absolutely huge, totally. But I'm, suppose I'm talking 
quite specifically about the north here that there's still there's still so many things that are um still so many things that are unusual you know see even for example particular typefaces that would be used i reference that one of the stories from um sweet home even typefaces that would be indicative of um a kind of a, a um a political or a particular kind of ideological viewpoint for some people they would interpret it that as that anyway um there's all just still these little indicators um that are still there what are the must-dos for someone coming to belfast to visit well the must the must do as well i think it's a beautiful city it's, it's kind of so dinky it's really small and so it's kind of like surrounded by um, it's kind of like surrounded by hills. I don't know if you would even they are called like Black Mountain. They the, the, they do get the the name Mountain, but I don't know whether they really constitute mountains or not. But I would say maybe what would be lovely is to climb to the top of one of these mountain stroke hills, even something like Make It Do It. And you know, I'm I'm not an outdoors person at all. Um, and just look at the city. I think that would be a really nice thing to do. Um, there's our sort of rejuvenated area, the sort of cathedral quarter it's called, which is basically one kind of quite nice cobbled kind of street that's got it's got a you know interesting cafes, it's got um some nice little shops. Um, so that's that's an interesting place to go. Um, there's lots of if you're interested in history, there's you know various different tours that you can go on. Um, where you can be, you know, it's like black taxi tours that'll take you around the sort of right interface areas. Um, and um, I know that people have found those really interesting when they've been there. Crumlin Road Jail is really interesting. Um, so um, this was a, a jail where there were Republican and Loyalist prisoners, and um, that's a really interesting place to um to be to be shown around. Ulster Museum's a nice place too. It's one of those kind of museums that you get maybe in cities um, where just basically everything's pushed in together. So you can move from looking at sort of like, I don't know, um, some sort of 19th century Irish painting to looking at like a massive um, model of a polar bear or, you know, something to do with um, rock formations. You know, it's just anything. And then pewter, then there might be a whole big, you know, section all on like history of pewter in Ireland so it's one of those sorts of museums where because it's a, a you know a, a small city everything just gets put in all together so yeah <laughs> all sorts of things just so many nice nice bars places where you could just sit and have a drink and you know overhear people's chat that kind of thing <laughs> let's talk about Ireland as a literary giant there's people like James Joyce Samuel Beckett John Banville Oscar Wilde um, Seamus Heaney Iris Murdoch Edna O'Brien, just to name a few. Mm -hmm. Why do you think Ireland produces so many amazing writers? I don't, the answer is I don't know, <laughs> I don't know. I know the things that you meant to say at this point and people talk about, you know, there being, you know, this rich oral tradition, um, but I don't, I never really felt very convinced convinced by that because it's just not true anyway for so many people um the idea of the oral tradition being something that absolutely everybody experienced just isn't just isn't the um just isn't the case i think that nowadays um the reason why there's so many writers is because i think there's actually pretty good infrastructure you know that the that they've put quite a lot of 
um, thought and effort into how best to support people that are um, that are writing. And of course, there's going to be people that are going to say, oh, it's still not right. No, so-and-so wasn't supported or so-and-so didn't get this or whatever. But I think that they've, I think that there's quite a lot there um, to um, support um, people who want to um, have writing as an aspect of their of their life. So you can say, for example, like short stories, people will say, well, that's the short story flourishes in Ireland as though that's something intrinsic to Irish people. Irish people are great at writing short stories and, you know, often thrown in this whole um, oral tradition business. That that's why they're so good at it. But it's also as well because there are certain people that set up magazines that publish short stories. You have got... Um, uh, festivals that are you know like there's a cork short story festival that is particularly focused obviously on the short story so it's it's less some sort of essentialist thing about Irish people being really really good at writing for example short stories and more about nuts and bolts I think practicalities that there's a lot of support there for people that are wanting to uh, there's a lot of avenues for people to um, explore or maybe at least more avenues than elsewhere if that's the mode that they want to um, that they want to ride in, I just don't see all these things like oh you know North, great Northern Irish sense of humour. Well, what on earth is that? You know, it's 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 just these sometimes these sort of real kind of essentialist ideas of of what groups of people are good at or what groups of people the aspects of groups of people, personalities. I just don't I don't know if I'm can totally get behind it. <laughs> You've been teaching English at the same school for over 20 years. Um, I have. What keeps you motivated and inspired every day? Well, do you know what? Do you know what, Ben? I mean, I would honestly have to say that there's very rarely a day when I think there's not going to be something that's going to be fun or something that's going to be interesting. Um, and I would have to say that, you know, some of these books that I'm teaching the kids um, they're books that some of them I've been doing for the last maybe 15 years. I mean, there's some of them that have been on specifications for decades. And it sounds, it's one of those real truisms that, oh, you know, it's like, it's not just about the text, it's about what you bring to the text and all of that. But I actually see that in practice year after year after year, because, you know, I'm there with the same book, but the people in front of me, um, or to different people, and they quite often have entirely different worldviews from the and ideologies from the people that were there in front of me even just five years previously. So, I actually do find it fascinating to see how they inter interpret and respond to to different to different texts. It's really interesting, and I suppose as well, I've just never really. I hope I've never really forgotten what it feels like to be a teenager, um, and I kind of. I kind of quite like a lot of the things that teenagers are. I like the kind of iconoclasm that comes with being a teenager. Um, you know, people throwing down Yates and going, this is rubbish. You know, um, that whole that whole list of, you know, great Irish that regrets, you know, that there's going to be people going, I don't like them, I think they're boring or whatever. I, I kind of... I kind of like the energy of um, of young people and hope I haven't entirely forgotten what it feels like to be... Uh, to be a teenager and also I work with really nice people they're they're um they're lovely and that's that's a good thing as well do you have a favorite text to teach let me see uh I kind of think right you know what I probably of all the texts that I like I probably like I actually probably do like teaching poetry best 
And um, what I like about it is just because most of the poems are not going to be all that long. And so it's going to be a very sort of self-contained um, experience. And I can kind of guarantee that everybody will definitely have read the poem <laughs> because we'll have read it to, together. Um, and so I, I, I do like teaching poetry um, a, lot of, a lot of the time. One of the texts in, in, um, in not just the north of Ireland, Northern Ireland, but in the UK that has been basically on since time immemorial is um, uh, of my cement, John Steinbeck. I mean, people have mm -hmm. been studying that. I don't know if people study that where you are, but it's been studied here for absolutely decades. And it's still really quite interesting text to bring to these teenagers um, because of what they bring in terms of their perception of 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 the characters that are that are involved in it. So yeah, I kind of quite like kind of quite like teaching teaching it. Sometimes I don't always want to teach things that I absolutely adore because if they don't like it and don't respond well to it, I kind of it's it's kind of annoying and frustrating. Um, and you can't go leaping up and down, but I want you to like this. I want you to like this. So sometimes there's been things that I have um, I've taught and they haven't liked. So say for example, it, it's a text, but it's like um, it's the trade union. This trade union um, official um, or leader, um, Jimmy Reed, his speech when he became rector of Glasgow University. It's a really famous speech about you know, um, don't join the rat race, don't, you know, the rat race is for rats and we're not rats, we're human beings. And um, I can remember studying that with a with a group of kids and I absolutely adored it and they they didn't like it, they find it really chippy. Um, and um, I, I can remember just finding that quite a frustrating, a, frust a frustrating experience. But uh, on, the, on the whole, I pretty much like everything that uh, that I teach. I'm a head of department, so a lot of the time I get to pick anyway what people are what people get to study. So that's good. And it's great right. whenever kids get their own choice as well. It's great whenever mm -hmm. kids can get their own choices to to write about whatever it is they want to write about. And that's the way it is here. You know, whenever you get to A level, seventeen to eighteen, you can pick two novels that you're interested in. Um, there's not really any constraints whatsoever and that's that's a great experience i think for them mm. sounds good okay let's move on to your writing dance move is out on february 17th it's your second short story collection i really mm. loved it i finished it a couple of days ago you kind of focus oh, on thank you. <laughs> thank you you're the first do you know what you're the first person ever i'm talking to about it well wow. um nobody nobody else has spoken to me about it at all yet <laughs> it's it's kind of lovely because I actually, I hadn't read your first collection yet, but it's on my list now to read, but your focus on really kind of intimate portraits of everyday life, just they're beautifully rendered. They're just these crystalline pieces of life. And you kind of look at them, these people from this observer perspective almost, and they just work really well and they're crisp and they're, they, they're just lovely to read. Thank you. That's that's really lovely to hear. And honestly, because uh, as I say, I haven't spoken to any. I haven't spoken to a single individual yet about the <laughs> about the collection. So that's good to hear. I Me? wanted to. <laughs> <laughs> I wanted to talk to you more about your writing process and the themes and subject matter that inspire you, because your collection is quite diverse. Because you move around from you know working class people to you know to people who are, I guess, um, doing a whole lot of different jobs. I don't want to give too many, I guess, 
things away but what are the themes that excite you to write about it just depends you know um I could I could probably pick for each of those stories something or other that it was that kind of made me think that that acted as a kind of an impetus for the for the whole for the whole story but it's so so random and it just it just depends it could be a song or it could be a phrase I heard I hear somebody say or it could be a um it could it could just be even maybe somebody I might see in the street and just the way they just the way they walk or the way I see them maybe sigh or or something will will just kind of trigger an idea that I will then that I will then just run with you know so say for example um you say for say for example one of the, one of the stories um Golem is about so two sisters and their and their partners. And it's about the various different interrelationships between between them. And it's all about class, I think, and class and family relationships and um, jealousy and love and, and all of that. But that was one where um, I'd, I had I don't drive. I can't drive. I failed a test like, I don't know, just so, so many times. And um, I was I was waiting one time for a taxi and somebody started talking to me and um, I said, "Oh, where are you? Where are you off to?" And the the guy was saying, "Oh, I'm I'm off to see somebody." And he ended up talking to me anyway and saying that he was he was off to have a um, he was meeting up with his wife's sister and he was having an affair with his wife's sister and so on. And um, we were just standing out in the street, and I was I was saying, "Oh, is that not is that not very risky? You're having you're having an affair with your wife's sister." And he was saying, "Yeah." And he goes, "I don't even like her. I, I really dislike her. She's a dreadful snob. I can't stand her." And uh, I was I was thinking, well, um, you know, why are you even said to him, you know, why why are you bothering if you don't like her? And he said, oh, I'm just I'm just proving to her that she's not all that, you know, she's 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 with me, um, she's having an affair with me, and so she's just she's just not all that at all, and um, she's not worth she's not worth her, you know, she's she's worth half of her sister, like her sister, his wife brilliant compared to this person he's having an affair with and then his taxi arrived and he got in and you know that was that was that but that just got me thinking about the whole idea of being attracted to somebody because you you just you despise you, you despise some aspect of them um and so that's what I kind of work through in some way in um uh, in Golem um and then something like in, in one of the other stories it was inspired by posters for missing people um and I would see those quite a lot in my own area in Belfast you know that various people have gone have gone missing and people are trying to find them um, sometimes it can be things like a song. So there's a song, there's a group I like, Chastity Belt, and the, one of their songs called Black Seal. It's very beautiful guitar music, very regal. And that made me think of this character, Black Seal, who's a um, a woman who wears a niqab um, in one of the stories in um, Sweet Home. So it just it just depends. It could be it could be absolutely anything. You know, another one was just a um, you know a Say, for example, a Chekhov short story. Um, I used the Chekhov short story, um, New Villa, and just used that as a template and transposed it to Belfast, and it became the story um, Sweet Home. So it's just every single time, it's just it's just something or other. It can just maybe be a little, it can maybe just be a little phrase. Um, you know, the one Mrs. Delisandro, which is set that was just inspired by locale it features in that story which is like a tanning a tanning salon so there'll be some kind of initial 
there'll be some sort of initial idea that will be prompted by a very, very random stimulus. But my then process after that, Ben, is that I think what I'm trying to get right are the characters. And so what I don't want to do really is to have a very schematic idea of where the story is going to go. So even though I might have an initial idea from some kind of external stimulus, I then am generating characters and then kind of letting the characters dictate the story and develop the story, if that makes uh, if that makes sense. So it's very, very rarely that I have any idea what the end point of the story is. Um, and I'm prepared for that to be revealed to me by the, the, uh, by the characters. That's one of the things that I picked up about this collection and not having met you before, you know, reading the collection, is that I find yeah. with a lot of short story collections, I think that you see the author a little bit, like you see them from behind, behind the pages somewhere and you kind of, I guess you pick up different things about the author. I felt like in mm -hmm. this collection it's so well observed that I almost feel like it's like I am observing the people you're talking about. Like I feel like you're almost, you're, you know, you're there, but you're not like I can't see you anywhere. That's a really cool thing to hear, and that's the thing that really pleases me to hear. That's absolutely fantastic. Um, yeah, I'm I am wanting to be pretty invisible, um, and I am not wanting to be trying to make myself look clever. Um, that's one of the things I just I just don't. I just don't like it. I just don't like it when I think the, the writer is there trying to make themselves look kind of kind of smart. And so quite a lot of the time what I'm taking out whenever I'm editing, I'm taking out the things that I think are my little things, you know, my little aspects that are making me look, you know, smart or cool or whatever else. So those are the things that I that I want to um, remove. Um, I suppose this time what I did do is I did put myself in as a character in one of the in one of the stories. Um, but I put myself in as really quite an annoying character. Um, and that was just a that was that was just basically just me just having a bit of a bit of a laugh, really. Um, and uh, you know, that was that was almost just like a little sort of caricature really um but mainly with the stories that's absolutely what i'm hoping is that um i am there i i'm i'm pretty much invisible now obviously everything is filtered through my my world view and i'm i'm there this is this is my perception of how life operates you know um and you know if i deliberately for example put that uh, Blake quote at the beginning of it from August of Innocence of, you know, pain and joy and woe being, you know, finely woven. So, you know, the actual se sentiment of it is my sentiment and the worldview is my worldview. But me as a, as a person, as a writer, I want to be pretty much, pretty much invisible. Absolutely. And not judgy. Um, I suppose that's one of the other, if you, if you get the sense that there's real authorial direction towards how you should feel about a character, I think that's one of the things as well that really triggers a, a, a reader's sense that the writer is sort of looming there. So I, I'm never really directing people, I hope, to be, to be judgmental about, about, um, about characters. It's, 
kind of presented there and essentially I suppose make of it make of it what you will you know it works really well like that I love the way you just kind of get out of the way and tell a story and there's no sense that you are you know judging characters or putting you know the reader into a certain I guess mindset when they're reading it which is just fantastic I mean, the thing is as well, though, Ben, is that that can only operate if you have got a reader that you think is is willing to meet you halfway and that is, um, is, is willing to understand the sort of nuances of what's, of what's happening. So, you know, if somebody said, oh, some of those characters are horrible, some of those characters are really sexist and some of those characters are really kind of, you know, um, in Sweet Home, maybe there are people that were racist or people are sexist or people that are kind of very paramilitary or whatever. And, you know, you should you should have been critical of you should have been critical of them. Um, and I don't frame it that way. I don't frame it that way because I'm expecting that an intelligent reader can kind of see what it is that I'm trying to um, that I'm trying to do and that I shouldn't need to have some sort of authorial intrusion that. Uh, yes, this person has just said something that personally I, Wendy Erskine, find offensive. I just want to let you know, as a, as an author, I find that offensive. It, it shouldn't be necessary with 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 a reader who's prepared to understand what you're trying to do. Very good. I read that um, you had a few days away, and that kind of provided you with the impetus to move into this writing world. I suppose. Could you tell us that mm-hmm. story? Yeah, sure. I mean, you know, working in a school, I absolutely love it. I really, really do. And I feel that I meet lovely, uh, I, I feel that I meet lovely people um, in terms of the kids that I teach and in terms of uh, the people that I work with. But the opportunity arose where I could have one afternoon a week off work. Um, and I thought, yes, that's wonderful. I'll, I'll do that. And so I always thought I really should try to do something then that's beyond just mooching around because I could see this panning out for a year that I would basically just go into the centre of Belfast. And, you know, the things I was advising people to do in Belfast that, well, other than go up the mountain, I was never going to do that on the afternoon off. But other than other than that, that I would kind of just mooch around and, you know, go to the museum or hang out, whatever. And I kind of thought, no, you need to do something. You need to actually make this make this work this one afternoon a week off for the year. Um, and I kind of thought, I wonder if I should work in a, it was like a photographic gallery um, that was looking for volunteers. And I remember, I remember downloading the application form for it and just thinking I have to get references from people to, to volunteer in a gallery. And I just thought that just seems like too much. That seems awfully hassley um so what i ended up doing was i just saw by chance on facebook that stinging fly in their small dublin press that they were running a um, fiction workshop and i'd always thought that possibly i could i could be okay at writing but you know i never really but I, I put that in the same kind of ballpark i suppose as thinking yes i could be so much i could be so much more you know okay with what's happening if I read a newspaper properly every day and you know it could be so much better for me if I went to the gym all the time it was one of those sorts of things that you know probably writing would be a good thing for me generally but so would many other things um and so I ended up I ended up just seeing by chance on Facebook this thing applied got on um 
had to write a story for it to try to get on the course. And I wrote the story Locksmiths that ended up being in the um, first collection. And I went down to Dublin every Monday for about six months um, and did like a creative writing workshop. I'd never really done anything like that at all before. And I had no expectations of being published. I had no expectations whatsoever, other than I was just going to try to write something. Um, and uh, yeah, I chose short stories because it wasn't a short story workshop. It was just writing generally. But I kind of thought short stories were quite good because I could just give one a go and I was still working full time. I still work full time. Um, but I could give one a go and if it didn't work out, I could do something else the next month, you know. In terms of the genre of a short story, I think often it's a bit neglected. It's looked upon as, you know, the little sister to the novel. What yeah. draws you to that format? Initially, honestly, Ben, see, initially I wasn't drawn to it at all because to me there's so much of the, the so much of the, to use the word discourse, but so much of the discourse about short stories I find very, very unappealing. You know, all these words that people use, like, you know, it's pristine, almost flawless collection. Um, you know, it's almost like Fabergé egg or something that people are there doing all this really silversmithy, very, very fine work. And it seems so technical and so off-putting. And, you know, you could, you could spend the rest of your life reading short story theories about how they're meant to be structured and, um, you know, how, how they're meant to proceed. And I just didn't, I just didn't like that at all. But I honestly, very, very quickly on that course, I actually understood that really these, that the, 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 upper, the, the possibilities for the short story were basically endless. And, you know, yes, you can think of the short story as the art of the glimpse, but it doesn't actually need to be a glimpse. It can be um, a full on life if you want it to be. Um, it can be, you can do all sorts of things, experimental things, it'd be tedious or kind of wearisome if you tried to do it for the length of a novel. So I kind of realized how limitless they were in terms of in terms of possibilities. And I suppose the key thing though is that there's a metaphor that um, George Eliot uses and it's describing, it's, it's, it's for something totally different it's about relationships, but it's the idea that they say like a spider's web. Um, when you crush it down, it crushes down to not very much. Um, but the structure, the structure of it there um, holds something that is really quite um, really quite big and really quite expansive. And I suppose with short stories, that's what I like about it. That in terms of length, it's not much, but what's also there are all of these kind of gaps um, and all this empty space. And that's where I think there can be a very satisfying reading experience because a reader is actually having to supply with a particular type of short story, a reader is having to supply quite a lot of their own ideas and they're having to supply because they're getting quite little and they're getting little themselves really in terms of length. So much then is on them to supply particular sorts of ideas. So say for example, future time, you know, the short story ending Quite often you're relying on a reader projecting what they think is going to happen in a way that you don't often get, I don't think, in the novel. And sometimes that can be a very unsatisfactory experience, but you can kind of think, oh, we read that and I'm the clue at the end of it, what, what happened or whatever. But it can also be deeply satisfying because it can be over to you to move into projected time and what you think is going to um what you think is going to happen. So yeah, I do. I really like it as a form, but it also kind of is sort of irritating, you know, if you get these people leaping up and down, going, oh, short story, short story, so much better than the novel. 
I don't like that either because, of course, novels are fantastic. I love a big immersive experience. I love it. Uh, you know, a, a novel that I know that I'm going to be in for maybe even a couple of weeks. That's fantastic. And I understand as well how short stories in some ways can be quite exhaustive, uh, exhausting for a, um, for a reader in the sense that you have to recalibrate to new world after every 6,000 words. And even something, even what I do, which is, you know, it's not as if my collection is not like, oh, one story set in a spaceship and the next story set in 17th century Verona. And then the next story set in, you know, uh, a space station. You know, it's not like that, that you're having to recalibrate to these wildly different worlds, but you're still having to abandon the characters that you encountered in the previous story and get to know other people. And for some people, that's a that's a joy. For others, it's kind of like, oh no, I'm back, I'm back to the drawing board. I'm back to, you know, starting again at the beginning with a whole new set of people in a whole new set of circumstances. And so I can understand as well why some people don't I can understand as well why some people don't really enjoy them as a as a as a form, you know. I did feel like reading your collection that I kind of had a little tour of East Belfast. Like I felt like mm-hmm. I met a whole lot of new people that I was quite interested in, in you know, in meeting, but it, it really did have that feel of um, of giving me a, a little tour of a place that I don't know very much about, which I thought was amazing. Well, you know, I think that's great that you thought that. And um, I'm delighted by that. Um, but I suppose what I would have to say as well is that um, I'm writing. I'm writing as I see it, and even though we're saying, and I love what you say, and I'll actually take that away and feel so pleased about it. You know that I seem to be kind of invisible. I'm still giving you my version of it, um, my version of a particular locale. And so, somebody who even lives a couple of streets away from me could read my book and go, "I'm sorry, but basically, I don't recognise that. I don't. I don't recognise that as the way in which I perceive this particular area." And, you know, it's not as if I start off looking at, say, for example, the um, breakdown of um, people that live in the area in terms of, you know, ethnicity, in terms of age or whatever. And I'm looking at, oh, let's say the crimes are that are committed in this particular area, make sure I'm representational. I make no kind of I make no kind of um, claims that this is representational in any kind of accurate statistical, you know, verifiable way. But it's as I see it, and I think most people would kind of understand that that that's how I'm uh, that that's how I'm writing. Um, but it's funny, you know, as well though, Ben. Like people, like other people say to me, "Well, do you think maybe with the next collection you'll be able to move beyond these Belfast?" And that's such a I can understand that, but it's also as well such a telling thing about how particular sorts of lives are valued. Do you know what I mean? That you know, what are we saying here that that there's stuff that these people that there's stuff that people in this area um, don't experience, that there's things that are um, more interesting elsewhere, you know, that that there are emotions or, you know, experiences, feelings, whatever else that you need to access in a different geographical location. And I don't think anybody would say that to someone who came from New York. You think you're going to move beyond New York? Yeah, you've done New York. Let's move somewhere else. I don't think that that would be said to somebody who, um, you know, would be writing about London either, for example. So, yeah, I think I, I think you could probably write 
even not even just East Belfast, I think even just one street, if you wanted to, you just if you wanted to um, just write about this one particular street and the, the people in a particular street um, for the rest of your life, you probably could. And it would be it would be rich. It would be rich enough, really. I have to draw an obvious comparison, I suppose, talking about this stuff is Dubliners, because that is obviously set in a relatively mm-hmm. small place, too. And everybody realizes how rich that is and what an amazing source of, you know, character and uh, perspective mm-hmm. that Joyce brings to those to those places. Yeah, uh, yeah, and that's that's the th- it. Sounds right. One of the um, yeah, I love I love Dubliners, and um, you know, there's there's that there's that thing that if in in rendering. It sounds it sounds so unbelievably pompous and pretentious to say that I'm trying to I'm trying to present a universal experience through dealing with the local, right? But essentially, that's what that's what that is. I I think you know what I, I once did an interview and it sounded so absolutely um, preposterous because I said in the paper about how. Um, you know, I'm trying to deal with the world's biggest themes, right? It sounded ludicrous, absolutely. And immediately I got a text from, I got a text from a friend saying, thank goodness, you know, after however many, you know, millennia, somebody's finally trying to do it, you know? So I got this really, I got this really sarcastic text, but I suppose I, I got fed up with people thinking, oh, so cute, you know, that's so nice writing about those little those people living in those streets and you know very color you know full of full of local color like local color literature and kind of thinking no you need to see beyond that or you know that, that's not really quite what I'm quite what quite what I'm trying to um to do and so that's why I ended up writing that's why I ended up in that interview coming out with something that sounded totally ridiculous very unfortunate because when people google me it always seems to be the thing that comes up first um, <laughs> so I should maybe try to I don't know how I can sort that out if I could pay some money or something so that doesn't that doesn't happen anymore but yeah I suppose there's so much about Ulysses as well this year isn't there there's so much it is yeah yeah so yeah but I think you know you've got all these great you know literary figures in Ireland and it almost pays not to think too much about them because you'd be almost paralyzed you know if you did um if you thought about all these people that have gone before and the the incredible way that they have that they have written I just try to blank as much of this out whenever um I begin as I can what do your students think of your books do you know what, Ben? I actually don't know. I have rarely ever had a conversation with anybody about it um, because I suppose my feeling is that I'm there to do a job and that my job is to ensure that these people have a good experience of the text they encounter and that ultimately, ultimately most of them, you know, want to do well in, you know, in exams and so on and so that my my job is basically not to do with me that I'm not I'm just I don't think I'm one of these teachers that's up that's up at the front you know almost being like a children's tv presenter or whatever um I'm trying to be reasonably low-key and keep the focus on them and what it is that they're achieving um so I very very rarely ever had had a conversation with any of them about about my uh about my books um 
there was one event once in Belfast where we took some of the I was I had to do a reading and some of the some of the kids um came along to that and they seemed to they seemed to enjoy it and there was a few that came along to the launch of Sweet Home like ex to be honest ex students came along to that and that was that was kind of quite nice but I kind of try to keep the worlds pretty separate to be to be honest you know um yeah and like for whenever I first did something published it was really beautiful that it was bought for the library and I remember feeling kind of you know making a big deal about that and saying oh no 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 you shouldn't have bought it for the library I want to keep these worlds totally separate um but I needn't have worried because nobody nobody borrowed it um (laughs) so nobody nobody was interested in reading it so it was absolutely fine We'll take a quick break here on Beyond the Zero. We're speaking with Wendy Erskine. Do you need rapid antigen testing but can't find any in stock? Why not try the George Orwell rat test instead? Available from your local dystopia. We're back on Beyond the Zero. We're speaking with Wendy Erskine. Let's move on to your gateway books, the books that open okay. up the world of literature for you. Yeah. Okay. Well, I can think right back to the first time, probably prior to ever reading a book, um, we had a sort of Joan Baez-style teacher um, whenever I would have been about four or five. Um, and I can remember this this woman um, reading us, we all sat down on the floor and she read us about this, um, read us a story about um, Baba Yaga, um, a witch, the witch with, which witch had iron teeth. Um, and I can remember that so clearly because I can, I was so mesmerised by it. And I can remember then it suddenly stopped and that was because parents had complained my mum told me that other people I, I said we were hearing about this it was amazing um I thought, what is that amazing when I was four or five but whatever I said anyway I was I was totally entranced by this and um, but people complained didn't like it and so that was that was stopped but I can remember the power of that and thinking it was it was incredible and you know not long after that the first book the first book I can remember sitting reading by myself was some sort of was some sort of book like a storybook, um, and it was about a man who, um, who from a distance saw a house covered in nasturtiums. You know, you know what I mean? There's, yeah. there's flowers and nasturtiums, mm. and he thought they were a fire. He thought they were on fire, and he thought the house was on fire. And so he sent a, he phoned the fire brigade to go along to this house that um, where he thought that everything was burning. And I, I can remember that. I can remember reading that by myself. And I, I can remember as a kid, I got, no, I wasn't a totally smart kid at all. But I remember thinking, wow, there's people out there that have really strange takes on things, takes on life. I can remember thinking that in some really rudimentary way, that there's a lot of people out there that have got really unusual views on things. And I can remember asking um, my relations have you ever thought a plant was was far have you ever thought you know flowers were far they're all going no no you know what earth that kid asking us that um but something about that that i i felt a lot of the times whenever i've read books that i've never felt that people are quite like are quite like me and sometimes that that sometimes that's really 
don't want to read about people like yourself you know people always say to me things like you know you know what 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 books about Ireland did you like when you were growing up what books about Ireland did you read and I never read any because I didn't want to read about people like me whatsoever I was interested in anybody that was not like me but at the same time I do feel the time when I've spent and I, I read I do read a lot and a lot of the time when I'm reading I'm reading people that I think that's an interesting and that's nothing like me that's nothing like I would think about and that uh, that story about the nasturtiums on fire was showing that to me even at about I don't know maybe five five or six years of years of age or so um interesting yeah. and as you grew up like what were the kind of books that you read growing up and okay into adulthood right I had a um so there, there's a basically a children's author um Noel Stratfield I don't know if you've ever heard of her no. um but she writes basically she wrote lots of books and they were nearly always about a kind of a, um, I suppose you would say, a sort of plucky underdog um, who would um, triumph against the odds. So it would be, they were like, it was in, it was in sort of, it was very show busy. So there's lots of sort of showbiz stories. So there's one called Gemma and it was Gemma was a sort of child star. Um, and Gemma would have all of these various different prob problems in terms of um, being a child in the sort of movie industry, or the TV industry. And then she would sort of overcome these problems. Um, and there, there would also be ballet shoes. There would also be um, skating boots, ice boots. So it was children, young girls that were in some way um, having to try to establish themselves in very different difficult kinds of arenas um almost do you know what i'm going to talk later on maybe if, if i can a little bit but one of my favorite books amba colgan by gordon byrne they were almost noah stratfield was almost like proto gordon byrne for me in terms of the kind of showbiz um fame um anonymity all of that but what was interesting with, with Noel Stratfield was I basically exhausted all the Noel Stratfield books in the children's section of the library. And I can remember one time wandering into the senior section and realizing that Noel Stratfield had also written books for adults. And I can remember reading one of them. Um, and I can, I can really remember reading this and realizing that I'd read all her children's books. I was now reading one of her books that was for adults and realizing that um this was based and again I'm not trying to say I was a clever kid I wasn't but I could realize that this was all the same stuff but reconfigured in a slightly more just slightly more disturbing way um and that this was basically adult life um that all those happy resolutions that there had been in the previous books that there was something different here now um and so like I can just remember physically the li libraries have always been really important to me. I love libraries. I find libraries. Do you, I'm sure you love libraries. Yeah, do of you? Course, yeah, absolutely. I find libraries. I find libraries really exciting still. And you know, I can remember this. It was Carrick Fergus. It's like about ten miles outside Belfast. And I can remember just thinking, right, okay, so this is a bit weird. This is something we making me feel here a bit strange, really, because I'm realizing that this woman wrote all this other all this other stuff, but also this one where things aren't quite working out, where things are a wee bit more, I mean, sinister, but just a bit more, 
less in keeping with anything I'd read before. I remember just looking at the adult section and thinking, right, okay, well, welcome to adult life. That's what it's going to be like, not like the children's section. <laughs> All right, let's move on to what you're currently reading and the books you're looking forward to. Okay, so uh, basically, right, I have been... Um, I've been judging. Uh, um, I've been judging. There's a prize in um, there's a prize in the UK called Republic of Consciousness, and so it's a prize for uh, for presses that are that employ fewer. I think maybe fewer than five people. So really, really small presses, indie presses, I suppose. So I've been reading about fifty books for um, the Republic of Consciousness um, prize, and that has been kind of ongoing over the last couple of months. Can't really, don't really want to name, wouldn't be really very fair to name any of the books, but it's just amazing to me what indie presses are, are producing in terms of sort of quality and diversity and all the rest of it. But what I am reading at present is um, 10,000 Apologies by um, Adele Stripe and Fat White Family, and it's out on, um, it's going to be out quite soon on um, White Rabbit. And it's kind of like a it's kind of like a rock biography, but not the usual type of rock biography where it's kind of like, you know, when we played 17th of March, Manchester, Free Trade Hall. And then it's, it's not like it's not like that. It's, it's more interested in the actual individuals um, rather than even the music itself. So that's been really, really um, interesting. Um, I'm also reading um, Donna McLean book, which is about um, a small town girl which is a nonfiction book and it's about her discovering that um, the person that she went out with was an undercover um, cop. So um, I am reading that. Um, I'm also rereading um, William Faulkner, um, Light in August, which is uh, it's brilliant. It's just a brilliant book. So I'm enjoying, uh, I'm enjoying rereading that. Um, normally try and I normally try to read two or three things simultaneously. I can I can do that, and I can I can I, I like doing that. And I'm also in some ways very bad reader. I don't I don't pursue it at all. If I, if I'm not enjoying it, I don't continue. What about you? Do you continue, Ben? If you honestly, I think in the past I did, and now mm -hmm. as I'm getting older and the kids are um, quite time consuming, yeah, I do mm -hmm. honestly like yeah. If it doesn't grab me, then it goes so yeah mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I think that's wise I mean I would have, for my own work I would absolutely hate to think that some person you know absolutely felt they need to trawl through my stuff um out of some sort of sense of misplaced duty that you need to finish you need to complete a book you know if somebody's reading all my East Belfast stuff and they're kind of thinking to themselves wish I was reading about a heist in Vegas you know they should go go away and read about the heist in Vegas and never never worry about all my things so yeah I think I think it's I don't think I mean I suppose what you can say is sometimes that it should be put off by difficulty so if a book is very challenging at the beginning maybe that's part of I suppose what I'm trying to do a lot of the time is you know respond to a book on its own terms and it may well be that it's quite challenging at the beginning and that's part of the whole process of reading that that's difficult. So I wouldn't want to give up on a book when it's deliberately quite difficult at the beginning. And that's part of the, the plan. Um, but if I don't think that, then, yeah, I'm more than happy to 
say, curtains. Exactly. Um, yeah. <laughs> are there some books coming up this year you're looking forward to? Yeah, so, yeah, I'm one of the ones I'm really looking forward to is um, really looking forward to Nicole Flattery. She was published as well with me in Sting and Fly, and she published a collection of short stories um, which were just amazing, I think. And she's got a book coming out called Nothing Special, and that is... Um, it's about two girls, as I understand, I don't really know too much about it, but it's about two girls transcribing um, Warhol tapes um, in New York. So I think that sounds like it would be absolutely, absolutely brilliant. But do you know what I honestly think, though, Ben, right? This is, the, this is the time where you've got all of these lists. So all of these newspapers are all producing all of these lists about, oh, all this amazing stuff that's going to be coming out 2022. And it's the same names crop up over and over and over again. Um, and I know, I know right now that the things that I'll probably really, really enjoy in 2022 are the things that aren't cropping up in those lists mm. at all. Um, so, you know, I suppose... What I hope is that I'm just going to stumble and come across things that aren't on any of those lists, but which are absolutely, um, which are absolutely brilliant and which I just don't, don't know about yet um, at all, you know? Yeah, that's my favourite way to find books is by stumbling upon them, especially in a bookshop. But yeah, I love just stumbling upon something you've never heard of or so much more fun. Yeah, and I think I, I really do think it. I really do think it is. You know, and I think about just generally in terms of my pattern of how I read books. You know, I didn't grow up in a house where, which was full of like Penguin classics or with you know parents who you know knew all that much about books or were interested in books or anything like that. And so basically, there was a a lot of just kind of random stumbling around trying to find trying to find things to read. And like I've got a daughter who's nineteen and. It's so different to her experience of reading of reading books because you know there's so many things. Well, you know yourself. I'm certainly obvious here. It's nothing. It's nothing special. But you know, you could easily access you know ten books for um, young you know feminists. You know, ten books that you should read if you are interested in um, Clarice Lispector. You know, it's so easy for you to access that stuff and to come across it. Whereas you know, back in the day, whenever people were just there, not having much of a clue, stumbling around their local library, um, you know, probably read a lot of nonsense. But also when you did come across something that was a real treasure, it probably meant all the more, I think. Yeah. No, I think that that voyage of discovery, in a way, the internet has kind of, it's, it's lost a bit of that magic, I think, like, just because yeah. we people do go to Goodreads and and the reviews posted everywhere, it kind of becomes something that, yeah, as you said, with lists and things like that, that there are things that come up all the time that you think you should read when sometimes the fun of stumbling into something on your own in a completely random way is, is a much more rewarding experience. Yeah. For sure, for sure. And I mean, that competition, the Republic of Consciousness thing, what's really good about that is that that's brought to my attention things that I would never have read. And, uh, you know, I like to think I'm the sort of person that just goes, OK, anything, as long as as long as it engages me, I'm into it. You know, whether it's a story about, you know, tortoises or, you know, something about, I don't know, uh, 80s 
you know, synth group, you know, it doesn't matter. As long as it's well done, I like it. But, you know, I'm not going to be that kind of, um, I'm, I'm not going to be that random, I suppose, in how I choose things. And, I, you know, even though, even though I think that I'm fairly, you know, broad-minded in terms of what I'm looking at, I'm still probably going to go to my usual sorts of channels. So something like that competition has been really brilliant because there's all sorts of things that I never normally would have encountered really, which is just great, really good. We'll take a quick break here on Beyond the Zero and come back with Wendy's top 10. This episode is brought to you by Australian Border Force. Tough on borders, children and tennis players since 2015. We're back on Beyond the Zero. It's time for Wendy's top 10. My top ten. Okay, okay. I wrote them down in case I in case I forgot them. Okay, <laughs> okay. So again, right, Ben. This top ten is my top ten on the thirteenth of um, or whatever date it is today. <laughs> you know, it's a particular it's a particular snapshot. Then it could change the next day. Um, so I'm going to go for um, Blue Sky by Toni Morrison. Yeah. Would you talk about these or? Yeah. Do you want to do you want to tell us a yeah. bit about so, it? Toni Morrison. Um, so I, I think that um, this is an amazing book, I think. And it's an amazing book because it's about it, it's about family, it's about prejudice, racism, um, social ex- societal expectation. It's such a but more the most important thing is this is such an angry book. This is just a, such a furious book. And, I mean, it, you just you just feel it, the fury coming out of this book, and I think that makes it really really wonderful fantastic thing um so um blue sky by by tony morrison i would i would have in there um i would also have nick tosh's um hellfire which is about um jaylee lewis so it's nick tosh's account of of jaylee lewis's life up to certain up to a certain point i'm a big jaylee lewis fan um although obviously this is a reprehensible individual in many ways um, I'm also a fan of his and um, I love the way Nick Tosh just writes about him um, and it's so far from again that type of um, so far from that type of writing about music which is about you know we use this type of um, drum or you know we use this type of um, you know the guitar tech had this sort of problem with this particular guitar it's nothing like that it's absolutely kind of elemental um in terms of the way it presents him um i got to do a really lovely thing for sting and fly where they wanted us to write some sort of fan fiction and so i wrote some fan fiction um nick tosh's fan fiction pretending i was one of the people in the jaylee lewis um uh, story here hellfire and so um he actually at the seminar, he, he's at a um at one point he's at a religious college um training to be a minister and but he still it's one of those things where he ricochets between religion and um rock and roll um and there's this one lone voice whenever he plays rock and roll piano in this religious college one lone voice gives a bit of a whoop so i pretended i was the one lone voice and wrote wrote about that and it was such a lot of fun and i called myself wendine in it and pretended that i was this kind of um 
also religious character who escapes with Jerry Lee to Dallas. And that was that. Was that. Um, I'm also going to pick Al McCogan by um, Gordon Byrne. I'm a total Gordon Byrne fan. I think he's absolutely an amazing writer. Um, and Al McCogan is all about the pop star Al McCogan, who did actually die, but then he he pretends that she's, she doesn't die, that he that she carries on living. Um, and it's all to do with the fate, it's all to do with fame, celebrity, anonymity, and absolute worst of human nature. I love Gordon Byrne, and you know, I ended up being long listed for the Gordon Byrne Prize for Sweet Home, and it was such a wonderful day whenever I heard I'd been long listed for the Gordon Byrne. That was just that was just terrific. Um yeah, so that's that's great. Um, my next one here is Good Behaviour by Molly Keane, who's an Irish writer. Um, and Molly Keane, this is a book about a big house where we have uh, a woman called Arun, who is Arun St. Charles, who is an unreliable narrator, first person, unreliable narrator. And she basically is a very unpleasant person um, who totally misunderstands everything that's happening around her um but at the same time is a monstrous character is a monstrous character but is also as well a very very likable character um because she's so out of place and she makes so many mistakes i i can't read a first person narrative without thinking it's unreliable i always have to go oh, come on right buy into it buy into it that this person's meant to be reliable at uh, first person i just always assume it's unreliable here it is unreliable it's really really skillfully dumb um, I'd also pick Faulkner Light in August, which I'm rereading again at present. And it's just such a, um, there's just some, I, I first read this book in 1987. I read this book in 87. But yeah, there's scenes in this book that I have thought about, Ben, I'm not, not exaggerating. I've thought about pretty much weekly, I would say, since 1987. Um, so to me, it's a very searing, powerful um, Southern Gothic piece of genius. Um, six, we have got Pat Barker, Blow Your House Down, um, which is about, it's, it's not exactly about, it's, it's not the Yorkshire Ripper, but it's about a serial killer um, in a Northern English city and prostitutes. And these prostitutes, um, basically their their lives and again it's it's one that has absolutely stayed with me um and I can kind of see whenever I read over sweet home I can see just little bits and pieces that I've learned from Pat Barker uh with that with this with this particular um this particular book um then I'm going to pick um the next one I'm going to pick is problems by Jade Sharma um which is about um described sometimes as a Maya as a woman who's got a heroin hobby as opposed to a heroin problem. I find it, I find this, this is a person with, this is a person with endless problems. Okay, obviously the book wouldn't be called that if she hadn't got endless problems, but it's so full of humor and so full of life. I think it's a, I think it's a wonderful book. Um, it's also one of the few books that I've, that I've read that my daughter's also read. And so it's really nice for us to have a, have a conversation with this. We can talk about various different parts of it. I think it's brilliant. Um, also going to pick um, Monument Maker by David Keenan. Uh, a, to me, David Keenan's an amazing person. He's a real inspiration to me. 
and um, he, I think he's really fearless in terms of what he does. This is a colossal book, um, and it ranges from you know um, Sudan to you know modern France and you know twentieth century, twenty first century. Um, it goes all over the place. It deals with such big. These are such big issues about permanence and impermanence and um, space. And it's just so all encompassing. We had an amazing reading group where on a Sunday night for three hours every Sunday night um, on Zoom for a number of weeks there, we read Monument Maker aloud. And it was, it sounds ridiculous, but it was, it really did feel like a spiritual experience. It was absolutely wonderful. So there's that. Um, also going to pick it's moving from that to something totally different Age of Innocence by Edith Wharton um, which is another book that I really like in terms of the whole idea of society and rules and stratification and um, you know ejecting people from the group if they fail to meet the uh, if they fail to meet what's expected of members of the tribe. So um, I really enjoyed that. It's a very, I think, sort of, I don't know, anthropological exploration of elite New York, elite in very commas, New York society at a particular, particular period. Um, what am I also picking? Stefan Zweig, Beware Pity. Um, I think it is, a, it, of all books, it's the one that I, I can remember making an audible like, oh, my God, don't do that, right, mm. during Stefan Zweig's Beware Penny. Not many books that, there's not many books that I'm so immersed in that when somebody does something, I'm actually going, don't do that. And that's how I felt at a certain point in um, in Beware Penny. Um, and I can't remember I'm up to nine or ten here. Um, ten. Maybe up to, is that ten? Is that ten? Um, well, honourable mention for Vigdis Harth, um, Will and Testament, which is um, a superb book as well. I really, I really love that. Um, it's a terrific book. But I could pick ten different ones tomorrow. So. <laughs> Briefly on <clears throat> on Monument Maker. So um, I love that book. I think it's fantastic. But oh, when I sp- Ben, did you? Brilliant. Great. I did. And when I spoke to David, he said that you were his favourite contemporary writer, which is pretty cool. Well, that is so lovely because he is probably my favourite contemporary writer um, <laughs> as well. And, you know, it's really interesting because I was at Glasgow University around about the same time as David, but I didn't know him at all. I didn't know him. And I read um, I read England's Hidden Reverse, which is, you know, as well, I know he's, you know, he's, he's written such a lot about music, but that was his really big music book. And even though I didn't really, there's some of the groups that I didn't really know and I actually felt not a massive impetus to go and listen to the music, but I just enjoyed him writing about them so, uh, so much. And I think that, uh, I think that Monument Maker is just an incredible, um, an incredible piece of, uh, piece of writing. Absolutely. Hmm. And he himself is just a person so full of energy and positivity and um, it's just great. Yeah. Very good. Well, um, before we wrap it up, do you want to tell us mm-hmm. where everyone can go out and buy Dance Move and where they can find you online and get Sweet Home as well? Okay. Well, um, so yeah, so basically, Dance 
dance move comes out dance move comes out in the island of ireland with stinging fly who are the people that originally well, people what's one guy it's one guy called that one mead and so he published he publishes it in um in ireland and then it's published in the uk then by um picador um so it can be ordered there's a really lovely bookshop in belfast called no alibis um and i think they're doing pre-orders um on um dance move um, and there's also going to be, I'll give you a little, there's little special postcards to go with it, which I'll sign and write little messages on. So yeah, no alibis bookstore in Belfast. They're doing lots and lots of nice little things to do with pre-orders for all different sorts of people's books and so on, but for um, but for mine, yeah. And um, Sweet Home is also published then by Sting and Fly and by um, Picador. And um, it can be ordered from um, no alibis um also and basically i'm just delighted that uh delighted that people are are reading my are reading my stories and find something um of worth in them it's a very very touching touching thing because it's not really anything you necessarily ever expected i just write stuff at the kitchen table and it's bizarre and amazing to think that there's people that are reading reading them all all over the place <laughs> Yeah, so I highly recommend Dance Move to everybody, and I will be reading Sweet Home as well now. Um, yeah, just a really fantastic collection. So it's been, Thanks, um, yeah, lovely meeting you and talking about your book. It's been it's been absolute pleasure to um, to talk to you. Total pleasure to meet you. So thank you so much. Okay, well, thank you. I will let you go and have a lovely evening in Belfast. Thank you very much indeed, and to you too. Thanks once again to Wendy Erskine. Dance Move is out everywhere on February the 17th. Check out the show notes for all the details. You can find us on Twitter and Instagram at beyondzeropod. And you can email us at beyondthezeropod at gmail.com. We'll be back next week. <laughs>